Adrianza opens up and hits a grand slam out to right. It's 19-0 Atlanta. You kick up the leaves and the magic is lost. And hit out to center and deep. And this one, it bangs off the wall. Freeman is in, a double for Ozuna. Braves 20, Pirates nothing. Comes all the way back, it goes by Evgeny Malkin, and again down to Tristan Jari. A steal! Josh Bailey scores! Josh Bailey on the turnover! In double overtime, the New York Islanders have won game five. Ryan Pullock, here's Bopillier. Beautiful move at the line to the outside. Bailey, flat pass. Bailey has two. Bovillier has two. and Pollock and this is Nelson in the slot with a shot I think in the playoff you obviously wish it would have went better I think there were some things I could do differently and some things that I could learn from I, next year there's a lot of room for improvement for me No chance to get him. Grounded to third. Gonzalez smooth the silk over there, and there Craig will come off the bag. <laughs> well, actually, shouldn't be laughing. As a, it's not a bad idea. Oh my! Oh my goodness! And then there's nobody at first. No way! Wow! I, I don't think I'm... that is unbelievable. Never seen that before. Never. It is early on a Sunday morning, so you know what that means. Once again, Grinders, it is our time. This is the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley, with you one more time. Episode number 17. This is the T. Martin episode of the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast, Greg. Uh, T. Martin, by the way, national champion quarterback, University of Tennessee, before he became a Pittsburgh State. Worth pointing that out. But um, been an interesting week. Huh? 
you heard that montage, it's been a very interesting week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Um, um, first of all, we opened up with the Pirates getting pounded by the Braves. They gave up 20 runs in a baseball game. A grand total of 26 runs in two nights, and they scored two. They got outscored 33-3 to in three games in that series. That's insane. They won on that Thursday, though, so that's cool. Yeah, they won in extras that Thursday night, which is, um, I guess it's turning a frown upside down, at least temporarily. Wow. It's like in uh, it's like in Ant-Man whenever he's going off about all the terrible things, and at the very end he goes, but I got that van, though. <laughs> yes. For the record, every Michael Pena part in the movie from now on should be Luis from the Ant-Man movies. Like, anything else is is just completely a waste of time and disappointing. <laughs> no other reason to do it. Agreed. Just make him Luis from now on. Like, I want I want to meet Michael Pena and have him tell me a Luis story while he's meeting me. <laughs> and I'll be totally happy. Not to get completely off the subject, but that's just on the pirate side of things. And we talked about last week on the show about Tony La Russa getting mad about players swinging. The Braves had no problem teeing off Wilmer Defoe, and Derek Shelton had no problem with it happening. And they gave up a grand slam. They are baseball players. That's what they're supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. And it, and us as fans, we're like, wow. <laughs> you mentioned Tony, Tony La Russa. We may discuss him again during this show. Okay. There's more going on with the White Sox and Tony La Russa. In this one, there's no reason why this should have happened. But we'll get into that later. <laughs> We got to talk about the NBA playoffs too. A couple things that are happening that are kind of surprising us based on what we talked about going in to the playoffs. We got to discuss that. Plus, we'll play our favorite news headline game Is This a Thing? And a few different topics to sprinkle in for that as well. Let's start with the Pirates, man. Let's start there and let's try to unpack all this because you have, first of all, first of all, first off, we just talked about the situation with the Braves, that series. We haven't even gotten into the most important part of the entire discussion with the Pirates. We got to talk about what happened against the Cubs with Will Craig on Thursday because what? I think that's the only word that you can say is what. I love in that in that clip, and I had to use the Greg Brown clip because his was just better than Joe Block's. Greg Brown laughing at that play, and then he goes, "Oh, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be laughing." Like, he even saw the writing on the wall. Like, is he really not going to tag him? Is he really not just going to go walk over to first base and tag the base? I don't know. See, Joe Block's call, with the Calliope's can be heard in Swickley, that might be an all-time infamous line. <laughs> That's one we will probably be talking about for decades. I can, run, I can imagine running into somebody on the street in, like, 2031 and telling them the Calliope's can be heard in Sewickley, and they might just start laughing because they might say, dude, Will Craig, they might get it. Like, it's, that's as good as it comes as far as iconic lines for very terrible situations that should never happen go. He had a good line. I just met the play-by-play part of it. He kind of, was, he was seemed so confused, and he was on radio. Yes. But, like, Brownie just laughing at the situation, and then he goes, oh, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be laughing. Yeah. <laughs> It was one of those, like, tell me you have no idea what's going on right now without telling me you have no idea what's going on right now. That's what happened with Greg Brown. Like, seeing it unfold and hearing it in real time as his emotion completely changed to, oh, that's funny, too. What the hell are you doing? It's pretty much what it became. And then the Cubs announcers, Boog Shiambi, just was, he, he just, him and Jim Deshays were flabbergasted. That's the word I'm going with. Like, is this really happening? It's a good word. 
and and Javier Baez, people are giving him credit. Like David Ross was like, "Ah, it's just Javi being Javi." No, no that's you don't get credit for that. He didn't do anything. No, you don't get credit for that. <laughs> he ran to a base that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, you ran backwards to avoid getting tagged. I, you just it just so happened that the thing you did that wasn't smart was countered with something that was less smart. Yes. Like no one won in that situation. The Cubs just died more slowly. Yes. That's pretty much it. And Will Craig, you know, metaphorically killed himself. Yes. He did. Instantaneously. So he did. No. I, no. I can't give you credit for something that you really had no hand in. And and I also have to point out that the entire pirate team on the field and in the dugout is at fault for this. Yes. Nobody said Hey, go step on first base, man. Like, there, Michael Perez held his glove up and said, throw me the ball. There were two outs. Yes. There were two outs. So the runner going home... Didn't matter. Didn't matter. All you had to do was literally make sure someone touched. Even if it wasn't you, throw it to someone else to touch first base. That's all you had to do. Everything else that's happening on the field does not matter because that runner that just put the ball in play is the guy that dictates everything. And it makes it even better because the umpire at home plate actually indicated safe when he should not have made a call because he can't do anything until the runner who had actually put the ball in play until they decide what to do with him. Yes. And the crazy part is he calls safe. So then the pirates say, oh, wait, Baez is running the first. So not only did Will Craig have a brain fart, not only did the pirates have a brain fart, the home plate umpire had a brain fart, too, because he made a call. That he had no business making. Yes. Due to the rules of the game, which, oh, by the way, are your job to enforce. Right. How? How How did this happen? It's like in a video game when you have the bases loaded and two outs and you hit a pop fly and you bring the guy from third and second home, but they're just pending. They're just sitting there. They can't score because you still have to get the guy out at first base. Nothing can be ruled until they figure out what's going on with the guy who just put the ball in play. That That's a rule that's been around baseball for as long as baseball's been around. And even if you don't step on first base, which he should have, if you just keep walking at Baez, if he walks behind home plate, he's, he's out, out of the anyway. baseline. Yeah, he's out of the baseline. He's out. So there were multiple mistakes here. And even when he threw the ball home, which he never should have done, Baez went safe and then he took off. But Perez had the ball and could have just tagged Baez. Yes. He was standing right there. Well, there's so many things that went wrong all at the same time. And Adam Frazier not covering first base was not his fault because he never should have been put in that situation in the first place. He wasn't supposed to cover first base because at the time the ball was fielded, it was fielded literally two steps in front of first base. Yes. So, Actually, it's not entirely true. It was fielded at third by Eric Gonzalez, who threw to Will Craig, who caught Eric Gonzalez's throw two steps in front of first base. Correct. And Baez just stopped running. Unbelievable. I've I've never seen something like that. It It makes no sense to me. None. I mean, it's it's as pirates as it gets, right? Yes. Only the pirates pull that yes. kind of playoff. That is specifically something that you look at and say, this is something that only happens to the pirates. That is exactly how you sum that up. It's it's a it's a definition of what this team has become. They were already a laughing joke, but the 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 uh, video of Anthony Rizzo busting out loud and Jared Barton sitting behind him disgusted. Yeah. Shout, shout, out, 
shout out to our boy Jared, who we both work with yes. in different capacities. So shout out to Jared. Jared's disgusted, and Anthony Rizzo is busting a gut, laughing out loud at what's happening. They, the Pirates should be flat out embarrassed about this, it, and they were going to play Will Craig tonight if the game wasn't postponed. It tells me two things. One, it does tell you the state of where this team is. It is kind of a a it is a very micro, very stark microcosm of this organization right now. But it also tells me they need to get healthy. Mm. They they really well, really need to. Colin get Moran doesn't make that mistake. Colin Moran does not make that mistake. Key Brian Hayes probably makes that throw. Correct. There's that. That's the, that's another thing we leave out. We always look, oh well, well, Craig. Why didn't Eric Gonzalez make the throw? Mm-hmm. That he, wasn't really that much of a throw, like that hard of a throw to make. It was as routine as it gets. It was routine. Yeah. If he makes that throw, we're not even talking about Will Craig not touching the bag because Will Craig's already on the bag, and he receives it on the bag. Key Brian Hayes probably makes that throw, and even if he doesn't make that throw, Colin Moran says, okay, well, yeah, can't get him. I'll just step on first. A bunch of things happen differently on that play if you just have players who are supposed to be starting in those positions who aren't injured. But that shows you just how big of a gulf there is between the starters and the guys who fill in for the starters. Mm. That's how wide the gap is. But it gets better. Will Craig was actually a minor league gold glover, I believe, twice, yes. if I'm not mistaken. So there's that. And, oh yeah, by the way, former first-round pick, Will Craig. This is bad on so many levels. Mm-hmm. But it shows you... Not only how people feel about this franchise, but just how much of a separation there is between the guys that should be out there every day and the guys that are out there every day now. Also, the fact that this straight-up cost them the baseball game. They lost yes. by two runs. That was run number one that never should have scored. Then there was a bloop single that scored, scored by, by us, us from second base. There's your two-run difference right there. They should have been out of that inning. It should have been nothing-nothing. Yeah. it's It's... Unreal. It started. It opened the floodgates. To- and and on top of all of that, they challenged a hit by pitch that he didn't get hit by a pitch, and then he hit a home run. And the then very next home run pitch. afterwards. It, <laughs> that was a very pirates like game. If, if there's a way you want to describe it, and I'm one of the people that expected this team to be bad. Like this team being bad was something I looked forward to, because it wasn't about wins and losses for me. It was about a identifying the talent that they have, b identifying the talent that they need. And C doing whatever it takes as far as moving whatever talent that's actually has actually has some trade value to acquire said needed talent. Mm-hmm. That was it for me. I, I was hoping to see a couple guys play well in the first half of the season, build up their trade value, and get shipped off. That was all I was looking for. And then this happens. So maybe it's just me having way too low standards, but this actually sank below the low standards I already had for this team. <laughs> Which is saying a lot. Going back to the beginning of the year when we did our predictions for the season, I said they could lose 100 games. You said that they probably will not lose 100 games. Where do you stand on that now? I still feel that way. You still feel that way? They'll, they'll get close. They'll get really, it'll be like 97, 98. They'll be really close. But the 100 loss mark, they'll just fall short of it. Now, granted, it's... If you want to mark it as a milestone or some kind of, you know, as Rocco DeMera would say, some kind of, you know, um, milestone or, or level of infamy, we can. Or, or I should say level of, of ignominy, if you will. If you want to go that route, fine. 
it doesn't really soften the blow that much. If they lose 100 games or if they lose 98, you still feeling any better about this team? Does it make a difference? <laughs> Not no. at all. Not at all. No. It, it's a team that's that's trying to acquire talent and build for the long run. They're not building for right now. They're trying to build for two years from now, maybe three years from now. So this year is not going to be that relevant to me. The only thing that the one total or loss total that they have will dictate is where they pick in the draft. That'll be it. And at this rate, probably a top five pick. And I'm okay with that because they probably need as many high picks as possible. But not only do they need high picks in the first round to guarantee they might have a shot at better talent, they need to hit on those high picks as well. They need to hit on the pick this year. But we'll get into that later on. And they haven't hit on a first round pick every time. No, we've they have seen we've seen it happen. No, they haven't. And honestly, if there's a guy who needs to hit on the first round pick, it's Ben Charrington. Yeah. I, I think the jury's still out on what Nick Gonzalez will be over time, but so far the early returns are pretty good that he hit on that first round pick because for all intents and purposes, Nick Gonzalez was you know, the considered the best hitter in the country in college baseball. So for that first round pick, it worked. What happens with this one, the number one overall, we'll find out because there's some things that we gotta discuss. During our favorite news headline game, is this a thing? We got to jump over to Penguins. The only guy that feels better than Will Craig is Tristan Jari because probably <laughs> they're talking about Will Craig instead of Tristan Jari. Tristan now. Jari probably <laughs> owes Will Craig a Christmas card. Yes. It's it's unbelievable. I I can't. Here's the crazy part because I was listening. I was listening back to last week's show. And when it came to this series, now granted, we were talking about this series after Game 3. Mm-hmm. So since we last talked about these two teams, Games 4, 5, and 6 happened and the Islanders won all three. And they did exactly what I said that they needed to do. They did when exactly. you asked me what they needed to do, I said they need to start Sorokin. And they did. You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. it it's insane to think that the difference was that simple. Mm-hmm. The difference between the Islanders and the Penguins simply was... The Islanders' goaltender got saves when he needed to, and the Penguins' goaltender did not. That's Period. it. That's, That's it. it. There, there really was not much to, to discuss. Oh, what are they going to do with this guy after the season? What are they going to do with that guy? No, 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 no. Fix your goaltending problem. And I'll, I'll say this also. The Islanders were also able to do the one thing the Penguins could not do. The Islanders noticed after Game 3, hey, our goaltender's not getting it done. You know what they did? They switched to another capable one. The guy Penguin, that won them in Game 1 and only gave up one goal. Penguins couldn't do that. They couldn't switch to a capable guy in Game 4 because they didn't have Casey DeSmith. Mm-hmm. That's something that sticks out because people say, oh, they need a new goaltender. I'm sitting there going, you need two reliable goaltenders mm-hmm. next year because if you had two reliable goaltenders this year, maybe you make that change before Game 5 or maybe even after Game 5. But you make the change knowing, hey, we can finally fix this problem that we have and have a shot at winning this series. I don't know how many times I can tell people this. League average goaltending probably wins that series for the Penguins. 100%. It probably wins game four. I I agree. And I also think that um, I think that Sullivan should have went to Legacy in game, in game six. Because Jari wasn't cutting it. In this series, what was the point of having Legacy on the roster if you were never going to pull that trigger? And the amount of injuries that the Penguins had this year, Josh, Casey DeSmith might have been the biggest one. He ended up being the biggest one. He did. Because they were missing a ton of talent, like Malkin, like Zucker, uh, Zach Aston-Reese, Latang, different guys, Dumoulin. And 
it ended much up, every defenseman in October. It ended up, or being, I should say, in January. It ended up being they needed Casey DeSmith to be healthy in the playoffs because Tristan Jari couldn't make a glove save to save his life, or couldn't make a play that was you know completely boneheaded, or should say, a play that wasn't completely boneheaded to save his life. There's that too because yeah. that giveaway in Game Five, if that didn't tell you how quickly this series had gone downhill, if that wasn't the emblem or the emblematic you know reminder of this is how quickly things can fall apart. I don't know what hockey you were watching because that was it. That was really the thing where everything changed. It's like now after this, the Islanders were playing with house money going into game six. Mm-hmm. They had no pressure on them. They were going home. They just won in double overtime in yeah. a game that the Penguins had to win at home. I said And completely gave away. I said from the beginning, the winner of game five will win this series. That's exactly what happened. Because if the Penguins win the pressure's not on them to go win game six. If they win game six, it's over. But the Islanders are at home, and they're trying to protect and force a game seven. But then you got to go back to Pittsburgh. So the, it's back on the Penguins still have the momentum because they're coming back home. Exactly. But that whole thing got thrown out the window when you lose game five. In the way you lose game five. At home. You gave up the lead late in the game. At home. And then you blow it in double overtime. On a giveaway like that, at home. At home, yes. It, that there's no excuse for that. None. None whatsoever. They came back here for game four, and you and I talked about how the Islanders had tried so hard to take the Penguins out of their game. Especially in game four uh game three. And the Penguins, every time that the Islanders were threatened with a goal and tried to tie it, the Penguins would come back and score a goal. And they just shrugged it right off. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, game four, what happened in game two and game three that they couldn't carry over to game four? Sorokin. That was really it. That was really it. Sorokin came in, and he starts stopping shots, and they they put the puck on the net quite a bit. They they out they outshot the Islanders thirty to twenty six, mm-hmm. but Sorokin stopped twenty nine of the thirty. That was the difference. The guy that won them game one, won them game four, and might have stolen game four because of the way he played. Yep. That was really the difference. The Islanders could make a goaltender change when they needed to. And the Pirates, oh, excuse me, the Pirates. The Penguins could not. It's really that simple. They had, they had multiple opportunities to win this thing, and they blew it every time. You go up one nothing in New York, they tie it. Fine. You go up two one in New York, they tie it again. You go up three two in New York, you're like, all right, they've scored three goals. I was listening on my way in on Thursday. Phil Bork said. Um, he goes, the Penguins have scored enough goals to win this game. I'm not saying that they shouldn't keep scoring goals, but they've scored three. They should be competent to win this game. Right. And they gave it away immediately. Goal, then he they turn it over, and Jari couldn't make a pad save. Goal, and then they break away, and Jari couldn't make a glove save. Goal. It's like, game over. Now it's 5-3, and they can't score anymore because Sorokin's the better goalie. And you're right. It unraveled that quickly. It did. The second period went like that. It was gone. They had the lead. They're like, all right, we're up 3-2. We're feeling good. Now it's tied. Now they're winning. And now they're down by two. That made the difference, really. It it, it was the ability of the goaltender that they hadn't net to either stop shots or the ability of the coach himself to make a decision to switch to a goaltender that he could trust being the number two guy. That was it. That's the difference. Barry Trotz is a really good coach. I, I said this going into the, going into this series, that Saturday before, I was anchoring at KDK. 
I said the thing the thing that sticks out to me that should worry a lot of people is that this is a Barry Trotz led team. Barry Trotz led Washington to a Stanley Cup. A Washington team that probably not should probably should not have been that accustomed or that comfortable with Barry Barry Trotz's style of coaching. Mm-hmm. But Barry Trotz got Washington a Stanley Cup, and then here's the crazy part: they didn't keep him because, for some odd reason, Washington thought, "Eh, he won us a Stanley Cup for the first time like ever." But what? Right? You let that guy walk to new to the Islanders, and then you wonder why he got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs this season. Right. Has Washington been right since they won the Stanley Cup under Barry Trotz? Nope. No, they have not. I keep hearing people in, in Pittsburgh talk about, is Mike Sullivan coaching for his job? What? Washington let Barry Barry Trotz walk. You think Capitals fans don't want Barry Trotz back? After A, being knocked out of the playoffs in the first round by the Bruins in very unceremonious fashion, by the way. And then B, watching Barry Trotz's team do what they did to the Penguins in five games? You really don't think they want that guy back? They absolutely do. Uh, they absolutely do. And I say all that to say this. If you are looking at this and saying this is Mike Sullivan's fault, I got to ask you how long you've been watching hockey. Yeah. Do I need to bring back the the flow chart of whose fault it is? The amount of injuries they had this season, and for them to still win the division. Where I mean, I understand it's a, it's the regular season. People go, well, what have you done for me lately when it comes to the playoffs? But how is it Mike Sullivan's fault that Tristan Jari couldn't make a play, and then the fact that he had nobody to go to because Casey DeSmith was hurt? How's that his fault? If he has Casey DeSmith to go to, it is an easy decision, whether it's after game four or after game five. It is a decision that's easy enough to say, Casey's going to start game six. And people probably take a deep breath going into game six, if not going into game five, saying, all right, we got a shot at this thing Mm -hmm. because the other goaltender's in and he's a guy that the coaching staff and the players trust. It made it very evident after the Islanders both tied that game and took the lead, that the Penguins were not comfortable taking Tristan Jari out of that game because Casey DeSmith was not available. It was so, so starkly easy to find out. And Phil Bork, we talked about, you talked about him during game game three, during game five, I believe it was. No, I mean, during, during game six, he goes, I don't know why they haven't pulled Tristan Jari out, but I think I probably would. Mm-hmm. He was to the point where he said, I'm probably pulling him out. He said, I'm not just doing it because of Jari. I'm doing it because of the rest of this team. Was it 5-3 at that point when he said that? Was it I think the it was either, goal? Or? I think it was the fourth goal, maybe. Okay. I think he pulled him. I think he mentioned pulling him after the fourth goal. I would have done that, too. And after Phil Borg mentioned pulling him after the fourth goal, then the fifth goal happens. The and it's like, goal, yeah. now what? Now it's too late. Now, now you're already lost. That fifth goal happened. It was over. It was over. It was done. It, it was done when that fifth goal happened. Just like the snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head against Cleveland in the playoffs. When that happened, it was done. Yep. I texted you, well, good night, Pens. You did. That was it. Because not only had had the Islanders done everything possible to win, there is no way the Penguins' will was not broken after that. There's no way their will was not broken. You could see it, too. The offense was just silent the rest of the game. And as well as they had played in the first 30 minutes of that game. Didn't matter. To have it fall apart like that. It, it, you're right, it didn't matter. It made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. And you know what? We talk about, as much as we talk about things happening in games left and right, there is no way you can answer for what you saw just in the second period of that game alone before you even went into the third period. 
just what you saw in the second period made a difference as far as what you saw in that game. And I I can't sum up any better than the Islanders had the guy who did his job when they needed him to do his job. And the Penguins didn't have that guy. Mm-hmm. And in order to uh, advance in the playoffs, you need to have that guy. I don't care who's coaching your team. I don't care who your captain is. I don't care who your three best players are. I don't care who your defensemen are. If you don't have the goaltender that can make the plays and make the saves he needs to make when the situation calls for it, the rest does not matter. By the end of the second period, they trailed by two goals, and it felt like three periods had already happened. Yep. And they they took the ice for the third period, and they still had not changed goaltenders. It was done. Yep. It was done after that. It was it was completely embarrassing how this happened again to the Islanders. They played them two years ago in the playoffs. Everybody said, oh, the Islanders, thank goodness for this. They're going to run right through them. Yeah. And they didn't. And then this year, all right, chance to get back at the Islanders for what happened two years ago. And they fell flat on their faces again. It's embarrassing. This is worse than the Steelers losing to the Browns. The Penguins were a much better seed. They had a much better season. They had a... You know, Vegas was all over the Penguins to win the win the series at the beginning. They had a two games to one lead. And they blew it four games. The Steelers blew it one game. Yeah. I understand that football's a different animal than hockey, but still, this is a series that never should have went the way it did. Two games to one lead with a chance to win the second game on the road and take it 3-1 before coming back home. They had a chance to take this, take this series and run away with it. And they blew it. And they blew it. And it's funny because we talked about how I remember anchoring the night before game one, talking about on the nightly sports call about how these two teams were different because I felt like the Penguins roster was different, that they had done a lot of addition by subtraction. They just found better guys to do the simple jobs right. And for the most part, they had. And when they got on the ice for that series to start in game one, it was still true, except for the goaltending position. Mm -hmm. That was the one where, and I, I, I said this ironically, that the Islanders actually had better goaltending the year before. They actually had better goaltending the year before. Robin Leonard was amazing the year before. Right. And now you go to Varlamov and Sorokin, and the guy who won all four games was Sorokin. It was the kid. It was it was <laughs> the guy who wasn't expected to step up and do it. And for the Penguins situation, the guy who was expected to step up and do it, he couldn't get it done either. But you had no other option. You had no other guy to go to. And clearly they didn't trust Mac- Maxime Legacy to be that guy, which I don't know if that reflects badly on Maxime Legacy or if it reflects badly on the Penguins, but that's the difference for me. Yep, I agree. It, it's like when Flurry wasn't showing up in the playoffs and they moved to Matt Murray. They and had they went that, to Matt Murray. They had that opportunity to do that. They didn't have it this time, and that is a shame. Even I'll take it back further. Let's go back to 91-92. Let's go back to the Chicago series and Frank Angelo with the save. I was not born, but go ahead. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow, Greg. Wow. 1994, buddy. <laughs> wow. I was in fifth grade when that happened. Well, like Frank Angelo with the save. I believe that was against Chicago. Frank Angelo had to start in net. Was that, was that the 91, 91 Stanley Cup or 92? I can't remember. It was one of those early 90s playoff runs. And I'll have some, if whoever knows, tweet me and remind me and fact check me. But it was an early 90s run. Of course, Tom Barrasso was the starting goaltender. But they had to go to Frank Pietrangelo, the backup at one point. Frank Pietrangelo made one of the best saves in like Penguins postseason history hmm. to help them save a game and keep them rolling. 
throughout their history of, of being Stanley Cup contenders and champions. They've always had a capable a starter and a capable backup. Tom Barrasso and Frank Pietrangelo. Later on, I believe it was, um, I'm going to say it was Tom Barrasso and Ken Reagan at one point. There was that time when it was, that was actually a thing. But then after that, you had Marc-Andre Fleury. And then you had Mark. I can't remember who exactly who his backup was in 2009. It'll come back to me later. Oh, Brent Johnson. Thank you. Thank you. They had Brent Johnson. Um, then that 2016-2017 run, it was him and Matt Murray. Or Matt Murray and him, depending on how you want to look at it. Right. But still, you had two guys you can trust. It made a difference. Some people could argue that 2013, it was it should have been, was it 2013 or 2012, between him and Tomas Vokun, and Vokun might have been the more reliable guy. Right. And maybe the difference was only one of them was reliable, which brings you right back to uh, to Tristan Jari and Maxime Legacy, who's your only other option because you have no Casey DeSmith. It, it really, for me, it really... It really is that simple, and not only does you know the immediate history, the recent history prove it, but the long-term history proves it as well. Yep, I, I agree. And the long-term history continues to show Pittsburgh teams struggling to win a playoff game. It hasn't happened for, what, 1,300 days or something like that? 1,800 days? The last Pittsburgh professional sports team to actually advance in their postseason, and if this is wrong— then I got to go back and double check it. But I believe, and I'm going to give a shout out to Alan Saunders for pointing this out. I believe it was the Pittsburgh Riverhounds that really? were the last team to actually advance in a postseason as a Pittsburgh professional sports team. The last one that was in like the major three was the Penguins against the Flyers. There you go. So I think you're right about the Riverhounds. 1,300 days. Wow. Wow. They continue to do well in the regular season, and then when it comes to the playoffs, they fall flat on their face. Can I shut one thing down really quickly? Yes, you may. Um, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it. Somebody tweeted, is Pitt football the biggest major sports team in Pittsburgh right now? Stop. <laughs> don't do not do that. <laughs> don't do not do that to yourself. No. No. That, we, we're not having that discussion right now. It's like people forget... How bad Pitt is. <laughs> I mean, it's a college, first of all. Second of all, they fall flat on their faces all the time. And third of all, it's still Pitt. Like if you if you turn Pitt into pitted or pitting, becoming a verb or an adjective, that's a problem. <laughs> Greg, here's here's the thing you need to look at. Pitt has won eight games. In a season. Three of the last six seasons. You know the last time they won more than eight games in a season? Uh, Probably was Tino the quarterback? It was 2009. <laughs> 2009, Greg. Who was the quarterback? It's a great question. Let's look that up. Quarterback on that 2009 team was Bill Stahl was the starter. Tino oh. Sinceri was the backup. <laughs> That was whenever they had uh, John Baldwin as the uh, top wide receiver, or as or as, uh, as um, Dave once I would say, Billy Billy Stall, Billy Stall. <laughs> but think, is this team is is Pitt football the the best major? No, you ain't won eight games, and you have won more than eight games in twelve years. No, no, they acted like they won the national championship when they beat Eastern Michigan in the in the uh, bowl game that they played in because they haven't won a bowl game in. Forever. They won the one division championship 
that they probably should not have won. And I will repeat this, the easiest division in Power 5. I, I didn't want to turn this into a pit-bashing fest, but I, I had to <laughs> throw a little bit of reality into the situation. This this is something, it, 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 all, it all goes to one central theme for me right now. If you're looking at the landscape of the city right now, and that's totally mixing in the situation with Robert Morris... Uh, pulling its divi- pulling its Division One men's and women's hockey programs. Oh yeah, by the way, Robert Morris people. For as much as you guys crap on Duquesne, you just Duquesne harder than Duquesne ever Duquesne. If you could put your you could wrap your minds around that. Now, granted, I graduated from Duquesne for the first the first time was seventeen years ago. Okay, I saw a lot of good and bad at Duquesne. The year after I graduated the first time was a three and twenty four season. Mm. Okay, so I've seen a lot of bad at Duquesne. Robert Morris just went and Duquesne harder than Duquesne could ever Duquesne. <laughs> Duquesne, at least at least Duquesne had sense enough to realize that, hey, our most successful program in the last 20 years has been football. Maybe we should put more into it. Robert Morris is like, hey, our most successful program in the last few years is men's and women's hockey. Eh, let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. <laughs> Duquesne didn't even do that. Right. So congratulations, Robert Morris, on Duquesneing harder than Duquesne. They also were going to re- renovate the ice rink, apparently. Yeah, they too. were going to renovate the ice rink at, at Neville Island. That was the thing that was being discussed. So when, when you look at all of that, when you look at you know the, the, the major college football team in town and the three Division One basketball teams in town and the, t- the two Division One hockey programs that used to be in town and are no longer, and then the three pro sports teams, can I, can I make one suggestion? One. It, it, it's it's just a brief one. It's a very simple one. And I don't care who doesn't like it, because until you can prove me otherwise, I'm going to stick by this. Stop calling this city the city of champions. It went out of style a decade ago. Yep. Stop. Just for 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 what happened 11 years ago or 12 years ago in, in, in that respect, to turn around and see what the last decade has been, to just see what the what the, the 2010s, that decade was. After being the city of champions in 2009, to see what the 2010s were as a decade, they should have given that up right around 2014-ish. The city's not the city of champions anymore. It hasn't been for a very, very long time. It might have been home to one champion team in the last decade, and that being the Penguins. It might have been home to them, but that's it. And we've moved past that. We are now, what, four seasons removed from that last one? We got to stop doing that. Because here's the thing. You just talked about about the, the Penguins losing being worse than the Steelers losing to Cleveland. Oh, yeah. By the way, the Steelers lost to Cleveland in a playoff game. At home. At home. <laughs> and that game was over after that first snap went over Ben Roethlisberger's head and a Brown fell on it in the end zone. That game was over. So that's the state of your football team. We already talked about the state of the baseball team. Okay. We went. This is not the city of champions anymore. Stop. Stop. Stop saying things to people. That are not true. They're not true. There is no viable evidence that proves it. Let that go. It It's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing to call yourself a city of champions. And everybody's looking at them like, okay, so where's the championships? Been a while. Let it go. Where are the playoff wins? Been a while. Exactly. <laughs> it's been a while. Just stop. Stop. I I get it. And don't Don't get me wrong. I love where, I love the city I was born in. I love the city I grew up in. I love the city I went to college in and met my wife in and got married in. Literally got married at the the confluence of the three rivers on a boat. Love my city until the day I die. 
but I'm not going to continue to call it what it's not. I love my son to death. All eight weeks of him. I love him, but I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be the next, you know, outstanding person in history. Cause I honestly don't know. Cause right now all he is, is an eight week old infant. So I'm going to call him a very beautifully large eight week old infant, because that's what he is. We're, we're still sitting there calling Pittsburgh, the city of champions. And they are a team who has not won a playoff round and advanced in the playoffs in what collectively three years. Mm-hmm. Ever sooner or later, you got to call yourself what you are. Frauds. <laughs> like you got to, you got to look at what you are and city of champions. We are not, we got to set it down and walk away when it's time to pick it back up. It'll be there. Cause right now I don't know if anybody holds that moniker. I don't know if anybody holds that mantle, but for now, just set it down. Just set it down years ago, set it down and walk away. It'll be there when it's time to come back, but let it go for now. Cause it ain't it. The chief called. He said, it ain't it. <laughs> that That's, that's the soapbox. I'm going to stand on for today. Just, I got I need people to stop with that. You went full Will McAvoy about America. <laughs> Belgium has freedom. 270 sovereign states, you know, 250 of them have freedom. I don't know, I got those numbers wrong, but still, I don't check, care. Check out the newsroom if you haven't, people. That might be the greatest monologue in a pilot of a television show ever. Mm-hmm. Like, that, there are times when I'll pull that monologue up on YouTube. Just because I need to watch something that brilliant as far as rants go. Mm-hmm. Jeff Daniels, like, smashed it. He did. Absolutely smashed it. If there was any question about that pilot after they first shot it, the questions were removed after that one scene at the very beginning of the pilot. Exactly. And and it grew so big. Like, it was on Facebook, and people were like, what is this from? What is this from? And then people would watch the show. So they found a way to really grow. Not to get on a huge newsroom tangent. but We're, we're almost... What, 10 years removed from that monologue? That was 2011. Yep. We're exactly 10 years removed from it. <laughs> yep. I was, I was thinking it was 2012, but yeah, we're 10 years removed. But that's an entirely different story because I can actually you know put a, put a good commentary on that. But I, I say all that to say this. We have to remember from time to time that everything is cyclical. Things come around. Like, as frustrated as people are with the Penguins, I get it. I get it. They they were up here just a few years ago. And then they were up here again the year after that. I get that part. They were bound to come down sometime. And I hear people going, oh, this is the worst it's ever been. Were you around during the X generation years? I was. When you didn't have to stand in line for student rush tickets because no one was standing in line for student rush tickets. Greg, I was going to Penguin Games. We're talking 2003, 2004-ish. When I could leave campus at Duquesne at probably five thirty, six o'clock in the evening, walk down the Shells Cafe, probably knock down one liter, walk up to the ticket window, get a student rush ticket, and walk right in the ice, walk right into the arena, and sit down before they drop the puck right after the anthem. Really? Without being without being impeded in any way. Wow. That that's how easy it was to get a ticket because no one was going. The Rico Fada, Steve McKenna days. I was going to games during those days. <laughs> You can't tell me this is the worst it's ever been. No, there's no the, way. The pre-Sydney Crosby slash early Sydney Crosby years, that was the worst it had ever been in a long time. And um, and before that, you probably have to go back to Pearly Mew in the early, early 80s, as bad as it could have been. 
the early 80s when they pretty much tanked to get Mario Lemieux in 1984. Like, this is what we're talking about. People say, this is the worst it's ever been. No, 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 no. Either you didn't live long enough to see it, or you just started watching hockey like five years ago because they won a cup once. Mm-hmm. People, get some perspective here. Get some perspective here. I understand that the Steelers haven't won a Super Bowl in over a decade. I get that. There was a time when they had to wait about 25 years in between Super Bowl wins. I turned out just fine because I didn't see the most recent one in my lifetime before they had won Super Bowl 40. I was glad they I was glad they had finally won one and I had finally seen it. I was okay with it. But I hear people freaking out about, oh, you know, this is, they, they need to do this, needed to do that. There's a group of people out there, Greg, in a certain age range, like people in our parents' age bracket, they have literally seen this town do everything. Mm-hmm. Literally been around for everything. And by everything, I mean pirates, I mean penguins, I mean Steelers, I mean pit football, I mean Penn State football. I mean even an ABA team winning a championship in Pittsburgh. That's happened in their lifetime, mm-hmm. if you're born in our parents' lifetime. They have seen everything. Stop giving me the I want to see the Pirates win again before I die thing. I'm, I'll be 40 years old in October, okay? I was born in 1981. I'm a Duquesne alumnus. I've never seen my alma mater's men's basketball team in the NCAA tournament. And I'll be 40. Okay? Yep. yep. 1977. That means the last time the Pirates won a, a, a postseason series was two years after that. I want to see the Pirates win again before I die. I want to see Duquesne make the tournament since I've been alive. Okay? Get in line. Yep. Gain perspective, people, once. Just gain perspective one time. I beg you. Just... Even if you have to write it down on a piece of paper and hold it in your hand, just gain some perspective. It is not the end of the world. There's always next year. There's always. That's that's the thing about being a sports fan. There's always, always next year. Unless you're the Seattle Supersonics. That's a different different story. (laughs) Speaking of the Seattle Supersonics, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we got to talk NBA playoffs. Plus, we got to talk about our favorite. I should say, we got to play our favorite news headline game. Is this a thing? And NBA playoffs is one of the topics during that as well. We will get into that. This is episode 17, the T. Martin episode of the Sunday Morning Grind. See you in a minute. You're listening to the Sunday Morning Grind podcast, a show where we talk about sports both on the Pittsburgh level locally, but also around the sporting world as well. We have a little fun with it, by the way, too. You can download the Sunday Morning Grind on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Anchor, or Spotify. Basically, anywhere you get your podcasts from. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Episode 17 of the Sunday Morning Grind. Josh Taylor, Greg Finley. We talked about the NHL playoffs, specifically the Penguins and how disappointing that was for us. We got to get into the NBA playoffs. We talked about this quite a bit in the last show. And I thought, Greg, entering this week, if you would have told me that we would have seen, if you would have told me we would have seen the Lakers both lose the first game and then recover the way they did to win games two and three against Phoenix. 
I wouldn't have believed you. First of all, I wouldn't have believed you when you said they would lose game one. It was 99 to 90. And then Anthony Davis just go off in games two and three, and they win those games. The thing for me is when he came out and said, I wasn't good enough, I will be better, that to me made me think the Lakers are going to win. Yes. Because he was miserable in game one. Game one, they lost 99 to 90. He went 5 of 16 from the floor with 13 points, and he got buried for it. Yeah, he and did. And he came out and said, look, I know I was bad. I will be better. And then game two, he comes out, and he puts up 34 and 10. And it's like, okay, he's he's back. <laughs> and, and, and LeBron had 23 points. How about Schroeder? He's been really good for them. Yes. He has been doing everything that they that they could have asked him to do because the Lakers are a team that have struggled with point guards. They've come and gone. Like it's LeBron and then it's everybody else. Right. Now it's LeBron and AD and it's everybody else. Now it's LeBron, AD and Drummond. But they also have Schroeder who's not part of everybody else. He's very good. He's a guy that actually contributes on a semi-regular basis, which mm-hmm. I actually enjoy. I'm I'm actually really intrigued by that. But then you have game 3 where you know, where AD, of course, went off in game two, but then he comes right back in, eight, in game three, another 30 and 10 performance. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, AD was for real about this. He's actually not playing around. And you can respect that part of it. I'm like, okay, I, I actually understand where AD came from. And just acknowledging the fact that, look, LeBron is not at the level that everybody expects him to be at. He was dealing with injuries. A lot of stuff got in the way. He can't be the guy he was previously Mm -hmm. so i gotta be that guy and be the guy out in front lebron's still the guy holding everything together but ad's got to be the front runner right now and it made sense to see that happen so to see him do that in games two and three just the way it's gone down and the way phoenix has not been able to counter and partially because of an injured chris paul chris paul's not 100 percent. there's no way there's just it's just not possible for him to really contribute in the way they want him to and it's kind of unfortunate shout out to steve banco because i would have expected to see a more competitive series after seeing what they did in Game 3, granted, Game 4 is coming up. It would be actually this afternoon, Phoenix and L.A. L.A.'s at home. It's They're going to go up three games to one. They're going to go up 3-1. And if they win this afternoon and go up 3-1, that's it for me. It's over. We talked about this last week, about how the Lakers being a 7-seed will prove that what seed you are doesn't matter if they can run through Phoenix. Right. Game one, Phoenix didn't run through the Lakers. The Lakers hurt themselves. They lost 99 to 90 and yes. it because AD sucked. Yes. It wasn't because the Suns blew them out of the water. And now the Lakers have outplayed the Suns in the last two games. Devin Booker has been able to get his, and it still hasn't been enough. Because it, it, him by himself, they can't get it done. You have to have a more consistent scoring punch that can actually counter LeBron and AD, and they just don't have it. Let's jump around to some of the other series right now. We talked about Denver and Portland. Yes. And how intrigued we were what be, what could become. You know, it was now granted at the time of recording this, Denver supposed to has supposed to have played Portland yesterday. So we're we're not going to know what happens cuz we're recording this a day early. Mm-hmm. But at the last look it was 2-1 Denver. But you and I both had our feelings about Portland and what they could do. Mm. But Denver has managed to do everything necessary to at least put a lead together in this series so far. What's been weird for me about this series is all the injuries that Denver had, and 
I want to go back to what I said last week. I said Jamal Murray versus Damian Lillard would be must-watch television. It would be. It would have been. Jamal Murray's out for the year. Right. So, it would have been in retrospect. Yes. He tore his ACL. I apologize for that for that blunder. But Austin Rivers, yes. of all people, has been the guy that nobody's been talking about and who's been balling out. 21 points in the last game on 5 of 10 from 3 point. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know, but they needed it and Beca- it was it was necessary. Because Joker's going to get his. We know yes. that. Yes. The question is who else is going to help? And Austin Rivers, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Porter Jr have been the guys. And I didn't think that would be enough. Because I thought that Portland had the better team on paper. Right. It was Jokic versus versus Lillard, McCollum, Covington, and Jurkic, and also uh, Mercenary Mellow. Mercenary Mellow, who has not been as Mercenary Mellow as we expected him to be. Like that's <laughs> that might be the biggest letdown for me. I'm I'm still expecting Mercenary Mellow to show up. That still might change in due time. But yeah, I, I think the fact that we saw Denver. And the thing is, it's not like Denver's supporting cast is that limited. It's just like we didn't know if they could do it as frequently as they needed to to overcome a Portland lineup that you just laid out being better on paper. But Denver's done enough so far to at least have an edge in that series. We talked about Milwaukee-Miami of not knowing what could happen. <laughs> we know what's going to happen We know now. what's going to happen now because Milwaukee, surprisingly, is actually taking care of business. But we said this. We didn't know if Milwaukee could blow up Miami, Miami could give Milwaukee a series, or if it would just be a, a cacophony of ugliness. We really didn't know. Game one pointed to it was going to be a cacophony of ug- ugliness. Yes. I love that word, cacophony. Yes. Never heard that word before. But really? But we're going we're gonna to keep using that on the show now. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, Milwaukee won in overtime. Because Chris Middleton hit a step back at the buzzer, or with .5 left in the game. And it's like, it's going to be this kind of series. They won by two points. I expect Miami to play well in the next game. It's going to be down to the wire. And Milwaukee blew them out of the water. Then they went to Miami, and (laughs) Vegas only put the Bucks at minus one and a half. I'm like, did they not see what happened in game two? (laughs) Like, I understand Miami's at home, but... Are you serious? And yeah. Milwaukee ran right through them again. They did exactly what we needed Milwaukee to do. And the thing that, I think the thing is we didn't expect Milwaukee to do what we thought they could do. No. Because they had failed to do it so recently. By the way, cacophony means a mixture, a harsh mixture of sounds. Okay. So there you go. There you go. So just for those who weren't, who weren't clear. But, yeah, that's a series I look at and go, wait a minute. It actually went the way people thought it might go? Yeah, you told you told me to wake you up when it's over. Hey, Josh, it's over. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much over for all intents and purposes. You can put that one to bet. Maybe Miami will win game four, but they're not winning this series. We talked about Philly and Washington and how the, the Wizards being in the playoffs was such a surprising thing. But Philly's doing what Philly expected to do, what we expected Philly to do. That one's kind of like, all right, they got a 2 nothing lead. They're starting to open things up a bit. The game three at Washington, we'll see how things go. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, this is Philly, right? Yeah, Philly I think walk away with this. I think this one's over. I think, yes, game three in Washington, maybe they can steal one at home, but Philly's just too big of a powerhouse. It's Russ, it's Beal, and everybody else, but it's Ben Simmons, it's Tobias Harris, it's Joel Embiid, yes. it's Seth Curry who's been yes. lighting up the scoreboard. They've got a lot of balance, and they have guys that can do just about every job they need them to do, and it has been the difference really in that series because you're right. When you have Beal and Russ, you look great, but when you got a lot more balance on the other side, it, it kind of 
it looks lopsided really quickly, and that's mm-hmm. what it's turned into. Speaking of series that have turned lopsided quickly, we expected this one with Brooklyn and Boston. We both expected Brooklyn to have an easy time with the Celtics, just because Brooklyn is so loaded now and everybody's healthy and the Celtics are so banged up. Correct. So, like that, That's pretty much <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it right there. Not much else I can say about that. Now let's talk about the, the two series that I think have become pretty exciting. The first one, Utah and Memphis has become fun. It is the series of not playing defense. Yes, it is the series of not playing defense. That one's become fun, but that's not the most fun one for me. It's Atlanta and New York. Atlanta and New York was exact. That is the one series I'm like, I expect it to be this way, and it has not disappointed me. The Knicks and Hawks, they have done exactly what I think they were going to do. And to that effect... Trey Young has really embraced becoming this villain. He's become a heel of the NBA. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what? Good. <laughs> Every story needs one. Every good story needs a villain. There are some guys that I wish that would embrace their inner villain and they just choose not to. But Trey Young actually being like, you know what? All right, stand up and hate me. I'm cool with it. Like, I can take it. I actually like that. I like the fact that the Knicks did respond to a degree in that you saw, you know, Knicks fans chanting Obi Obi Toppin's name Mm. by the time it was done in the garden. I'm an Obi Toppin guy. I watched him sit there and just throttle Duquesne up close. I called called play-by-play for that game. Mm -hmm. So I know how good Obi Toppin was at Dayton. But, you know, to see the Knicks actually be in the playoffs with a team that's you know, has some excitement to it, and they get a win at home, and everybody's like, all right, you know, this has actually become a series now. I'm I'm looking forward to see how this goes. So game three was... Friday night when we recorded this, so we're not going to talk about that. But the first two games, where has Julius Randle been? Yes, it's surprising that he's been the guy that hasn't really, you know, come through as much as we needed him to, or I should say, we expected him to, or as the Knicks needed him to. Yeah, they they absolutely needed regular season Julius Randle to light up a scoreboard, and he's just not doing it right now. So I look at this series, and I think if Julius Randle can put it together. I think the Knicks still win this series, but I also think this thing could go seven. You know what? I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I, I, it'll be a first round series, and I'd hate to see it end. I could watch this series go seven, and I would not complain. Game I'd be all for seven it. at the Garden too. Now nah, you see where I'm going with this. <laughs> That's why I would be excited about that series going seven. Now that we talked about the rest of them, can we get to the what the hell series? Clippers and Mavericks, what the hell? What is going on? We talked about this last week again. I said if Paul George is not regular season Paul George, they will not win. And he hasn't. Game two, he was okay. Game one, he was not. He was not. But they're not playing defense. No. They're letting Luka get his and then some. You have to be able to take their guy out eventually. And that's what they're paying Patrick Beverly for. The 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 defensive side of the Clippers was supposed to be their hook. Yes. Because they had Paul George, they had Kawhi, they had Patrick Beverly, they had all these guys that could both score and they could play good team defense if nothing else, and that's the one thing they failed to do, and you're right. Luka Doncic is doing whatever he feels like, and when that guy starts doing whatever he wants, you got problems. It's a wrap. He had 39 points in Game 2, he had 31 in Game 1. You cannot let him do that. Like, you just can't. And Porzingis has been great. And how about Hardaway? He had 28 points in Tim game Hardaway two. Junior, yeah. Like, where did he come from? It, the Clippers just aren't playing defense. And at the same time, Kawhi had 41 in game two, but it wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. And Paul George had 28. They had 69 points from two dudes out of a 121, and it wasn't enough. I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. The lack of team defense from the Clippers should be 
the thing that sticks out because this was a team that was that was locking teams down in the regular season, and if they weren't, they were able to at least keep in step with them. And they can't do it with Dallas, and it shows. And they were the best shooting three-point team in the NBA in the regular season. And game one, they did not show it. They really didn't. I, th- I don't. I don't think you're wrong. And that's another one. Game three, Friday night. That you know we won't be able to comment on yet, but I'm sure we'll talk about the rest of this next week. But yeah, it does come down to, you know, if the Clippers are down three nothing at Dallas, and Dallas is at home for game four, it's a wrap. It's over. They- it's over. They have to win Game Three, and it would already been done because we're, you know, this is the Sunday morning grind, but we recorded this on Friday, so we don't know what happened. Right. <laughs> so that that makes it a little tough to comment. But if they lost Game Three on Friday, yeah, it's over. If it's a three zero series by the time you're listening to this, folks, move on. It's done because there's no way. And Tyrone Tyron Lou, he's like. He's like Dave Roberts for me. You know, <laughs> you just hand these guys a job with a really loaded team. Oh, man. And you don't know how to manage your coach, and you get exposed for it whenever things don't go your way. He flat out said, we're not worried. I'd be worried. I'm down 2-0. I'm the four seed. And you're playing the next two games on the road. And you're on the road. Yep. Uh, and I, you have no, you have shown no signs whatsoever that you could stop Luka Doncic. And as a four seed, this has been a very anticlimactic 4-5 matchup. Yes. It has not been the matchup we expected it to be. Really disappointed with that. So Tyrone Liu being Dave Roberts of basketball, that's a thing. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that is the best segue we've put together in a long time. Let's get into it. Okay. Let's do it here. It's time to get crazy. It's time to play our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? And I'll explain how it works. What Greg and I do is we look at a few things that are happening going on around us, and we look at it and go, wait a minute, is, is, this, is this a thing? Is this something we should pay attention to, or is this indeed fake news. I want to start because we're talking about the NBA playoffs. I think you put a perfect segue into it. I want to start with what we've seen already in these NBA playoffs so far. And these are two particular instances. One of them happening in Philadelphia with the fan throwing popcorn on Russell Westbrook. That fan has been permanently barred or barred indefinitely from access to that arena, which is the, the least they could do honestly as an organization that the Sixers could do. Mm-hmm. The other is the player that spit on Trey or the fan that spit on Trey Young at Madison Square Garden. We haven't been to the point where arenas have been at full capacity for a month yet. We're barely out of this thing where fans are able to be at games. We're barely a month into full capacity, and we already have people acting out of pocket. My question to you, fans that quickly forgetting what it was in abusing the privilege. Is this a thing? It is a thing because they're doing it. it it's unacceptable. I mean, Russell Westbrook was hurt. Yeah. That's about as classless as it gets to throw popcorn on him when he's limping off the floor, being helped by trainers. And he got so mad that he was going to go up there and fight the guy. And he's hurt. Like, that should never happen. People always talk about the malice at the palace, that brawl in Detroit at the Palace of Auburn Hills. Mm-hmm. They can come down on as much as they want to. But when you have people that act like that, sometimes, I'm not saying I'm an advocate for violence for op- for just openly out in public. Some people just have it coming. Yes. If Russell Westbrook would have gotten away from the team officials and security and gone after the fan through through popcorn on him, I hate to say it, but that guy would have had it coming. He would have. He would have deserved it. The guy who spit on Trey Young, that guy would have definitely had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
My thing is, and this is one of those things where I look at it, where fans, I, I, I talked about, I, I talked about my own townspeople being, being brought down to back down to earth. Fans, it's not about you. It is not about you. You are the person who puts the money into the entertainment's pocket. You are not owed anything other than a contest being played. Yes. And if the contest isn't played, guess what? They either give you money back or they give you a chance to watch another sports contest be played. Other than that, you are owed nothing. Mm. And that goes for season ticket holders, too. You are owed nothing but sports being played in front of you. That's it. You are not owed an outcome. You are not owed a specific performance. You are not owed any kind of unfettered access to be able to do or say what you want. All you are entitled to by paying for a ticket is to sit in a certain spot to watch something happen. That's it. Yep. Anytime you go outside of that, you need to check yourself. You've taken things too far. And we haven't gotten a month out of a global pandemic where fans are finally allowed back into sporting events. And we went crazy that fast? Yep. Fans. That's a problem. It, it's a big problem. It is not about you. That That's a thing, and it's a thing that needs to stop. Agreed. That's insane. And I, I'm not one of those people that like to police people on how they should act or what they should do or how they should feel. But that is unacceptable. It's you, it's no. common sense that you shouldn't do that. It it really is common sense, and and it does come down to people behaving like normal human beings. I understand it's a sports and it's exciting, and you can you can have alcohol there, you can have a great time. But you know what? If you can't behave at home, or should say, if you can't behave out in public, stay at home and watch it on TV. It's easier now than ever. Yep. Do that. Just because if you can't act that way, if you can't act like a decent human being in the public, stay at home. Because it's not about you. Let's move on to college football because I thought this was an interesting story. Alex Scarborough, ESPN staff writer, wrote a story about particularly, and this is a passage that he wrote. He said, tampering officially arrived in college football this offseason, leaving coaches to both lament the current state of the game and try to keep up. They know if they wait for a quality player to enter the transfer portal and begin to recruit him or transfer portal to begin recruiting him, they're too late. So they've been reaching out to third parties and using players as go-betweens. It's a violation of NCAA rules, of course, but enforcement is nearly impossible. An SEC head coach said that not only is tampering tampering happening, quote, it happens most of the time. Tampering in college football <laughs> via the transfer portal. Greg, dare I ask if this is a thing? Yeah, it is 100% a thing. And if my voice sounded 100% sarcastic, I did that on purpose. Of because, course. of course, it's a thing. It was a thing before the transfer portal. Of course. Pe- coaches would definitely um, bait players to pick their school. That's called tampering. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I- I'm going to give you two schools. I'll give you the two names of the schools. And you could probably guess the guy that I'm going to talk about. Okay. And why tampering is a thing. Duquesne, Arizona. This was pre-transfer portal. Tampering is a thing. Sean Miller. Tampering's a thing. Yep. It's, it was a thing before the transfer portal. It's just easier to get away with. That's it. That's really all. All right, let's move on here. This is one I thought was interesting because particularly it's not team sports. It's an individual sport. And this is something I brought up to you. And I think you and I both have interesting reactions about this. Naomi Osaka, growing tennis star and starting to really build a, a great blossoming career. Straight up beast. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's really, really impressive. Um, she had an interesting post on, 
I believe this was, was this on Instagram or was it on Twitter? It was on Twitter. Um, what she said was, and I'll, I'll try to sum this up as quickly as I can. Um, she had this post that says, hey, everyone, I hope you're all doing well. I'm writing this to say I'm not going to do any press during Roland Garros, which is the French Open. I've often felt that people have no regard for athletes' mental health, and this rings very true whenever I see a press conference or partake in one. We're off, we've often sat there and, and asked questions that have where we are often sat there and asked questions that we've been asked multiple times before or asked questions that bring doubt into our minds. And I'm just not going to subject myself to that, to people that doubt me. I've watched many clips of athletes breaking down after a loss in the press room. And I know you have as well. Actually lost my place there. I believe that whole situation is kicking a person while they're down. And I don't understand the reasoning behind it. Me not doing press is nothing personal to the tournament. And a couple journalists have interviewed me since I was young. So I have a friendly relationship with them. However, if the organizations think that they can just keep saying, do press or you're going to be fired and continue to ignore the mental health of the athletes that are the centerpiece of their cooperation, then I got to just laugh. Anyway, I hope the considerable amount that I get fined for this will go towards a mental health charity. (laughs) My question to you. Athletes sidestepping or or opting out of post-game press conferences or post-match press conferences in her case as a reason to protect their own mental health. Is that a thing, Greg? It's a thing. It's kind of unfair to the media because the media can't do their jobs without being able to talk to the athletes and get a story from what the athlete tells the media. So that makes it tough on the media to do their job because the media's job is to cover the athlete right, and ask the questions to write your story with the answers that the athlete gives you. So that makes it really hard for them to do their job. Agreed. However, athletes are people too. They have mental health issues just like the rest of us do. So I understand where she's coming from on this, but at the same time, to just flat out say I'm not talking to the media is not fair to the media. I'm of two minds about this. It feels like you're you're the same way too because I've sat in enough post game press conferences and seen so many different things happen, and wonder like, what the hell did I just see or what the hell did I just hear? I'm of two minds about this because from the media standpoint, I agree. Those people are there to do a job. They are there to tell people what happened. They are there to put together some kind of collection of thought and and find a way to tell the story of what happened at that particular place, how it happened, who was involved and find a way to spin it in their own lens in a journalistic sense. At the same time, I have also heard some of the dumbest questions asked at press conferences. Yes. Just absolute stupid questions. I remember getting into an argument at, at one of my previous radio stops because we got into an argument over, you probably remember this a little while back when West Virginia played Kentucky and someone asked one of the players from West Virginia, are you guys going to be Kentucky? And guy goes, yeah, they're gonna be, you know, they were thirty and zero. They're gonna be thirty and one. And Kentucky crushed West Virginia. Everyone's like, oh, they got beat because that guy said they were gonna beat them. No, they got beat because Kentucky was gonna beat West Virginia anyway. Yes, Kentucky was gonna stomp West Virginia by double digits, and everyone knew it. But West Virginia player isn't gonna say that about his own team. If you tell any athlete, whether they are pro, college, or even playing on a high school team, going into a game, and you ask them, are you going to win this game? Going to say yes. Their answer is <laughs> going to be yes. I don't care who they are. Greg, I play 38 and over baseball, okay? And I probably should not be out in the field trying to injure myself. <laughs> going into a game, you ask me if we're going to win, I'm going to tell you yes every time. And let me tell you something. If I have a teammate who says no, 
Don't show up. Stay home. If you do not come to a game believing you are going to win, you are wasting your time. Stay home. Every athlete believes they will win. Even if they know they are walking into certain death, they still walk in believing they can win because that's what competing is. Mm -hmm. You are competing with the belief that you can actually overcome whatever obstacles are in front of you. So to that effect, I wonder sometimes if we really realize the questions that we ask some of these guys. I'm sitting there going, there's some times when I hear people say, oh, what he said was stupid. My my first response is always, well, what was the question? Yes. What was the question they were asked? Because sometimes you may think it's a dumb answer. I'll counter it's a dumb question. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Naomi, Naomi Osaka's gotten some dumb questions. And I imagine some of those dumb questions came after she beat Serena Williams. And Serena Williams is like, look, it's about her. Because Serena Williams, if anybody can talk about not wanting to talk to the media, it's probably Serena Williams. Because she catches it left, right, and sideways. Correct. And after she lost to Naomi Osaka, she's like, it's about her. It's not about me losing. It's about her winning. So, yeah, from Naomi Osaka's perspective, the whole prospect of handling everything that's just happened and mentally mentally processing that and being at a press conference immediately after a match or immediately after the game, that's one of those things that has just been around since professional sports has been around. It just comes with the territory. If you're playing on that level, you're subject to it. There's no avoiding it. At the same time, I can see how some people who don't do their jobs as well might plant some seeds of doubt in your mind that might affect how you feel about either what just happened or how you feel about yourself given what just happened. I can understand that. The only thing I can look at it better is maybe we need to look at ourselves, Greg, as to how we do our jobs. Mm-hmm. Because we can say what we want. We've had bad days doing our jobs. I've had days where I've gone in where, you know what, words were jumbled in the prompter and I just could not read it cleanly at that anchor desk. Or there have been days, you've been my producer for those days, where I've come in to do radio and I just got words jumbled. There was a day I came in, I was so exhausted, I said the wrong damn station name. I've been there. I've had days where you're just not your sharpest. Athletes are the same way. And I think sometimes we lack that empathy as people who perform not in the same way athletes do, but we perform on a regular basis. Right. And if we are not sharp, if we're not on our game, people know it and we're going to get criticized just like they are. And I think we forget that from time to time and we lack that empathy with how we approach some people or how we approach certain athletes or how we approach, you know, certain situations. And it does, it does echo the fact that it becomes a greater responsibility for us to how we handle and how we do our jobs and remind ourselves, Hey, you're not on it every day. So maybe we shouldn't jump on this person for not being on it every day. The, when the athlete responds the way that they do to a dumb question, it's just the athlete is pointing out that this was not a fair question. I need to, I need Najee Harris on a loop just saying, bro, what? Like, just play that for me for the rest of my life. <laughs> Anytime something happens. And then I'll just feel better about myself. Last thing we want to get to here on our favorite news headline game, Is This a Thing? I... I've been paying attention. You and I have both been paying attention to the prospects for the MLB draft. Pirates, of course, have the number one pick. We have been looking at, and this is something I've brought to your attention more than once. We've been looking at the mock drafts, seeing what they say, seeing who certain publications are expecting the Pirates to take in certain places. Now, the Athletics mock draft has the Pirates taking Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, with the number one overall pick. MLB.com has the Pirates taking Marcelo Mayer, a high school shortstop from Chula Vista, California, 
with the number one overall pick. As much as you and I have talked about the upcoming draft, the one thing we've talked about is it Kumar Rocker or, or Jack Leiter, the two pitchers from Vanderbilt. It's been that. I'd make the argument, is it one, of the, one or two of the guys from Arkansas who have been lighting up the college baseball world, by the way, they're number one for like, what, double-digit weeks now? Who pick Suey? Is one of the guys from Arkansas. I don't know. But you at least can open up the discussion to, okay, it's probably one of those two guys. Now we're seeing a college catcher and two different high school players mixed into it. My question to you, Greg, the Pirates selecting a player in the draft at number one overall that is not Kumar Rocker or Jack Leiter, is this a thing? We talked about this last week about how I think it was the shortstop was being projected to go to the Pirates at number one. And we talked about how, you know, NFL experts were saying that the 49ers were going to take Mac Jones and how that was preposterous. I mean, Mm -hmm. you called their bluff immediately. I felt for it. Because you don't you don't trade all that up to get Mac Jones. You just don't. It's becoming more and more evident to me now that they might actually blow this and not take the pitcher. The, they keep coming out with more and more of these. The Athletic and MLB.com is doing it. They've got to be talking to somebody. I mean, they can't. There's no way that they're just writing this just to write this. Well, here's why. Here's why I think the way I do. Because now I believe this was Keith Law in the Athletics mock draft. The first thing he writes after mocking Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville to the Pirates, after he mocks them at number one, he says, still wide open here. Those are the first four words that you use, but still wide open here. Davis, Marcelo Mayer, Jordan Lawler, and with decreased likelihood right now, Jack Leiter and Kamar Rocker. That's the tough order probability of those five names for pick 1-1 one, one right now. De- still wide open here? Decreased likelihood, though. Why? Why don't they want the, the why don't they want pitcher one or pitcher two? Because maybe Vanderbilt doesn't get past Arkansas in the SEC tournament. Oh, get out. Just here. saying. Just saying. <laughs> Arkansas won the SEC in the regular season. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Here's what's crazy. As good as Vanderbilt's pitching is, Arkansas has still been better. Just think about that. Maybe that's what it is. I'm I mean, I'm kind of speculating, but I'm kind of not. But do we need to change this show to the Arkansas Woo Pig Suey? I'm show? not going to do that. There's too many of those podcasts out. <laughs> Shout out to all those folks in Fayetteville because I love living there. But for me personally, it this feels like the 49ers drafting Mac Jones. That's what this feels. It feels like a smokescreen season for me. So you think that this is like the movie Draft Day when they write down the player and says no matter what, <laughs> Vontae Mac, no Vontae matter what. Mac, no matter what. I don't think it feels like that, but it it feels like. It feels like the people that are that are mocking these things really don't have a clue, and they're really just trying to read the tea leaves as best that they possibly can, or they've gotten indications from some from from someone else. But I got to go all the way back to Moneyball here. I got to go back to this one particular part of Moneyball with Billy Bean, how he addressed the draft because he wanted to draft Nick Swisher, and we remember we know what kind of player Nick Swisher became in the MLB. Mm-hmm. Billy Bean wanted Nick Swisher. He wanted Nick Swisher so bad he wanted no one else to know outside of the organization that he wanted Nick Swisher to the point that he would not go see Nick Swisher play. Never went to see him play once to the point where someone from another team go, Billy must really like Swisher because he hasn't been here to see him. Really? Like they, 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 they knew that Billy Bean wanted him because Billy Bean's like, I'm not going to see him so that everybody else can think that I want him. I think there are times, especially in MLB, because we see the MLB draft. It it kind of unfolds like every other draft does. Teams kind of try to figure out, or sometimes they actually do figure out who other teams are going to take, and it allows them to fill out their board and see if they can get their guy. 
So there's a lot of cloak and cloak and dagger there. There's a lot of gamesmanship of who they're thinking about. Think how many people fell for Mac Jones going to the 49ers the third overall. I know I did. <laughs> and that's after the 49ers traded up to get the third pick. When I heard 49ers trade up to get third pick and the rest of the quarterback, I'm like, it's Trey Lance. It's Trey Lance because he's a he's a, a once in a while type guy. He's that talented of an athlete. I, I knew it, but I, I give San Francisco credit because they said it. They're like, we kept this close to the vest the entire time. We didn't tell anybody anything. That's what this feels like. This feels like Ben Charrington is not telling anybody anything. I'd rather, I'd rather it be that way than the alternative. So you think that the writers think he's because he's not showing interest in these two pitchers that they think that he's not in on them? I think he's he's keeping everything wide open and he's not committing to one particular guy. So that's making them think that he's going in a different direction. It's making them consider all options, which is probably the way you should go because it's just like, hey, we don't have any definitive evidence to prove that they're going towards one or two guys. So maybe we should explore every other possible option. That's really where your mind should go when you're presented with that kind of evidence. But I'm still going to get on you for falling for it if you do. <laughs> when you give me a mock draft and you give me the number one name and then the first four words you write are still wide open here, that shows me you really don't have a clue. Right. That. So to me, I don't think it's a thing. I don't think it's somebody outside of those two guys. At least not... Not now, I don't. I haven't been convinced to think it's anyone other than those two guys. You've made a good argument, and I don't have the athletics, so I didn't know what was said in that at the beginning of that. So now that I know that it's wide open, I will agree with you. Here's the next surprise from that mock draft in the athletic. You know how high either of those guys go? The pitchers? Yes. I think Kumar was Boston, right? Kumar Rocker is projected to the Red Sox in number four. At four. So Lighter's not even in the top four picks in this mock draft. And they have three teams passing on a pitcher. And they got three teams passing on a pitcher. Yeah, that's weird. But the the passage behind the first name is still wide open here. I'm leaving it at that. And on that note, we are not still wide open. We are pretty much ready to close here. We're about to wrap this up. Episode 17, the T. Martin episode. That's a great pick for number 17. Although Joe Gillum would have been a good suitable substitute. But I'll, we'll settle for T. Martin. I think that's a pretty good one. The T. Martin episode of the Sunday Morning Grind. Follow the show at Sunday MRR and Grind. Follow Greg at the TheGFan on Twitter. Follow me at Josh Taylor HD. That is on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much anywhere you can find me on social media. That's where you'll find me. We will see you next week. Actually, I'm wrong. We will not see you next week. I will be out of town next week. Mm. My godson's having a, his baby shower slash diaper party. I will actually be in the D.C. area next week. So... Okay. Episode 18 will come to you in two weeks. But I'm sure we will have a lot to talk about as far as NBA playoffs. We will have a lot to talk about as far as where the Stanley Cup playoffs are at this point. Or should say at that point in two weeks. So we will have much to discuss there. We guys are talking about how this Penguins offseason is going to develop. We haven't even talked about Steelers OTAs. We still got to talk about that stuff. Plus, there's a story or two I got to tell people the next time we reconvene about how I'm looking at the Steelers offseason. We'll discuss all of that stuff. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about pro pro football focus. Maybe. Maybe we'll do that. That's what we call a tease, folks. That's a a tease. (laughs) In the meantime, for Greg Finley, I'm Josh Taylor. See you in two weeks.